from the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch. This is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Features Editor at the Dispatch, and today I'm joined in studio by my colleague, Features Reporter Ken Gordon. We're both excited because some really big names are going to be in Columbus this week. It starts with Alan Jackson, who is bringing his classic broken-hearted ballads and fiddle-heavy party tunes to Value City Arena on Friday. It may be 5 o'clock somewhere, but his show starts at 7.30. Just a day later, Pink will bring her show, a mix of pop singing, acrobatics, and spiky hair, to the same venue. And on Tuesday, the 1975, a British band, Not The Year, whose song, Love It If We Made It, was named the best song of 2018 by Pitchfork Music Magazine, is coming to Express Live. If you're looking for tunes of a different era, how about the legendary Broadway diva Betty Buckley, showing she's still got it in the national touring production of Hello Dolly at the Ohio Theater, where it's running through Sunday. For today's show, though, Ken and I are more concerned with a celebrity of a different kind, a $35 million violin that once belonged to the virtuoso Italian player Paganini. It's more than 275 years old, and it's going to be at the Columbus Museum of Art beginning Saturday. Tim Sword, president of Greater Columbus Sister Cities International, is here in studio with us today to talk about how we convinced our sister city, Genoa, Italy, to loan out this Italian national treasure. And Columbus Symphony Concertmaster, Joanna Frankel, who will play the instrument in a Wednesday concert, joins us as well. Thank you, Tim and Joanna, for being with us today. We're excited to have you on the show. I have to say, though, Tim, I'm a little surprised there's no violin here today. We were kind of expecting (laughs) that we would have an additional celebrity guest here. Well, the violin actually doesn't arrive till Friday, so not ready to bring it in. (laughs) Plus, we couldn't bring it into the studio, as it turns out. It's going to be under high security, and it only gets to move from the airport to the museum to the museum for the one concert at the Ohio Theater and back to the museum, all under armed guard. So let's talk about that a little bit, because we've had, you know, a lot of really big celebrities on the show here, actors and authors. Why are we talking about a violin? What's the big deal about the violin? Maybe you can start talking about that, Tim, and we can go from there. Sure. Well, this is Paganini's famous Il Canone violin. So this is a national treasure to Italy, and it's housed in the city hall at Genoa, which is Columbus's first and oldest sister city. For this to leave the city at all is a big deal, and to leave the country is even a bigger deal. We were actually told by the folks at the customs that the special security that we ha- measures that we have to go through to protect this violin specifically is the same level that they would offer Queen Elizabeth's collection mm. if it was to move through. So it's, it's top-notch security because it's actually irreplaceable. So what can you tell us some of the different levels of security that you need to go through in order to make this happen logistically? Sure. So it lives in a special case, like I said, in the City Hall in Genoa. And there is a person whose job, and he'll be visiting with us with the violin, whose job is solely to protect the image and also the actual material of this violin. His name's Bruce. And he'll be traveling and making sure that everything's done properly. But for the actual movement, it'll have an armed guard. The car has to be armored or a police car. It can't be in a situation where it's exposed to the window. So it has to have either a special safe or in the trunk of a police car. It's actually going to be handled with a handcuffed situation with the case and Bruce. So it's, it's actually a very big deal. We have special security at the museum. They're already secure because they here in Columbus have valuables, obviously already, but no, this is a big deal. 
Joanna, on that note, I wanted to ask you, I mean, here you knew all this, I guess, leading up to this, but, you know, how does this make you feel that, that you are the, the person approved to uh, perform on this instrument that's, uh, that's so, you know, treasured and, and closely guarded, obviously? Well, it's really, you know, I don't think that I'll really fully process this whole experience for a while yet, even after the fact, because now I'm just so focused on preparing and thinking about how I'll quickly get to know the instrument and try to really represent it well and fully for everyone in Columbus and to really give it, you know, the performance it deserves for being such a such a special, special violin. It's very exciting, very humbling, and very, well, I'm just, yeah, I was quite stunned when I was told that I would be the one playing it. I mean, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, of course, but in a very positive and exciting way. That's what I was going to ask you, is is nervousness. Maybe you'll feel more when you are at the museum rehearsing or at, maybe at the concert, but I know you own yes. an old, you know, antique Italian instrument yourself, and so it's not like this is yes. a new experience, but just, you know, all of the hullabaloo around this, is it going to be a little nerve-wracking? Absolutely. On one hand, I've thought, oh my gosh, how could I even go near this instrument? How could I? But then I think, well, I, you know, I, I do handle a violin every day of my life, so I'm sure it will be safe in my hands, but of course, I'll just be have the utmost respect for it and try to really just follow all the guidelines of, you know, what's necessary to preserve it and really showcase it to the best of my ability. But it is definitely, definitely nerve wracking. But I hope that, you know, when I do start to rehearse on it, I believe on Monday, I'll just, you know, those things will maybe go aside and I'll try to just really, really try to unlock its mysteries the best that I can. Well, one thing she did miss is this is a well-deserved honor for her. Mm-hmm. I've seen her play. I've seen her play Paganini. She did it for us at a Sister City annual meeting recently, and tears were in people's eyes, literally. Wow. She's phenomenal. And the other thing I'll say, Joanna, is uh, you just celebrated the first birthday of your first kid, so you know what holding something precious means. (laughs) I have confidence in you. A priceless object. Yes, absolutely. It's a cool kid. It's a cool violin, but this kid's really cool. Oh, well, I don't think the Paganini violin will try to throw himself off the sofa the way I'm doing (laughs) (laughs) at this moment. But um, yeah, so hopefully I'll have, I'll, I'll be trained well just to really try to keep it safe. That's right. Joanna, can you tell us a little bit about specifically what makes this violin special? You know, can you, do you know a little bit about who created it? I mean, I think, you know, in the popular eye, we pretty much know the name Stradivarius and that's it. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. So can you tell us a little bit about the origins of this? And is it really valuable only because of who owned it and who played it or more than that? I think, you know, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. First of all, it was created by Guarneri del Gesù, the very famous Italian violin maker who does enjoy really fame and notoriety, I would say, on the level of Stradivarius, although his name isn't as much of common knowledge as Stradivarius. It's generally considered that Guarneri instruments have a little bit of a darker sound as opposed to Stradivari instruments, which are extremely bright and brilliant, So, which doesn't particularly, you know, relate to the value just in terms of the character of the instrument. So it was made by a very famous maker, but then also, of course, really this history of it, that it was played by Paganini until the end of his life, and the fact that he really valued it so much, first of all, to call it his canon, meaning that it is just such a powerful, powerful instrument, really in the range of volume, color, sound, just really, I'm sure that the options for a performer on this instrument are just absolutely limitless, um, which is very special, and also 
that, you know, he bequeathed it. He was just so in love with the instrument that he did bequeath it to a city and not a person, really just wanting it to be protected, you know, in the highest regard. So I think all these things make it very special. And I think moving into present day, I think the very wonderful and revered violinists that have played it also make it very special. Just And the fact that, you know, my name will be on that list, that's also very special. Well, very humbling, but it's just very, um, yeah, so I think all of these things really make it a really unique and irreplaceable piece. You know, this violin's only been in the United States a couple other times, New York City and San Francisco. So Joanna's name's going to be on it, but so is Columbus's, and we're really excited about that. Well, Tim, I was, yeah, I was going to ask Tim about that. You know, we we should talk about that. There are 10 sister cities, correct, that that, that you uh, help us coordinate with, and this is the oldest relationship, and that's how this started, correct? Councilman Tyson and the delegation went over to commemorate the 60th anniversary of that. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what Genoa, uh, just because it was the first, and I mean, they have another very well-known donation to this city, <laughs> obviously standing in front of City Hall. Let me tell you a story about that yeah. statue. So actually the story is that former mayor, Jim Rhodes, who later became Ohio governor, was mayor and the, a consulate who's based in Cleveland of Italy, came down to a conference in Columbus and got a parking ticket. <laughs> and he was very, very upset about it and demanded to meet the mayor. And somehow he got in front of the mayor. And remember, this is in the 1940s. And he demanded, he said he had diplomat immunity. He didn't have to pay for this fine. And the story I read was in the biography of uh, Jim Rhodes, and it basically said both men probably were surprised with each other's English. But the mayor said, okay, I'm going to reduce your ticket to a dollar, which I think in 1940s would still be yeah, maybe $10 ticket. or something. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, now what are you going to do for me? And the guy didn't have anything to say. So uh, Mayor Rhodes said, how about a Christopher Columbus statue for in front of our city hall? The guy said, done. It took until 1955 for that to happen. Wow. Um, but that was the launch of our sister city because it was a gift of Genoa, Italy. And I, apparently in the dispatch, it said there were over 100,000 people that unveiling. Wow. wow. So it's a big deal from then. We also had one other notable exchange not too long ago with the Museum of Art. It was a Caravaggio painting and the museum had requested it from a museum in Genoa and they said no because, I mean, if you're going to protect something valuable, the best way to is not to allow anyone to have it, right? Including this violin. But the mayor of Genoa at that time found out that we were that it was a sister city request. So he wrote a letter and it came over here and Annette at the museum said they built a national attraction basically on that exhibit. So we had people from all over the country and in fact the world come to exhibit that or see the, that exhibit. So we're really excited that this violin is in the tradition of these big exchanges with Genoa. What do those exchanges add to the relationship between the two communities? And would this have happened if the concert wasn't involved, Tim? I mean, I think that's something that people can go to see the instrument is one thing, but to be able to hear it, I think, is another. So I'm kind of curious as to what role the concert itself played in having it come over here. Well, the concert definitely makes it super special for us. This violin's only played occasionally, even in Genoa. They have a competition, and typically you have to win the competition to get the opportunity to play this. So that's just a rare opportunity in itself. It's surprising that we even have it, to be frank. Um, It is because of the sister city relationship and the relationships within our city that work together to make this happen. I mean, the partners at the Columbus Symphony Orchestra, the museum, sister cities, the city of Columbus itself, and others. But the reason it's here, in part, is because we did go over in 2015, Priscilla Tyson, myself, and a group of young professionals and it happened to be playing. It was already scheduled to be played and our host, the city, invited us to that concert at City Hall and it literally came out with two armed guards for the entire performance <laughs> sitting, standing next to it in kind of a traditional old style uniform. So it made an impression. There were maybe 150 people in that room and we had first, second row seats and I recall thinking in my head, wow, I know personally 100 people 
who would appreciate this more than me. So I leaned over to the vice mayor at the time, her name was Sibelius, and I said, do you think this could come to Columbus? And she goes, what, the violin? No, like immediately. <laughs> so, the, and so I let it go, right? That could have been it, except the very next day, at Christopher Columbus's birth house, Priscilla, Tyson, and uh, local officials were doing an event, and this lady found me and said, I actually talked to the people last night that are responsible for the violin, and it had just gone through a reverberation. Had not left Italy in over 10 years, but she said it would require this amount of insurance, has to have the two armed guards, its own seat on the plane, all these specials. So to me, that was the elaborate package of no until we came back here to Columbus and Priscilla called the arts community together and they said, we can do this. Mm -hmm. And it's taken a long time. <laughs> but here we are one week away from, well, less than a week. It's this week it's coming and one week from a performance. But the performance does make it super special. I can't imagine that we would have gotten it without that relationship. Joanna, I wanted to ask you a little bit about this rehearsal on Monday. It will not be as it normally would be with the whole orchestra. So I know that's a little different, but how much time do you kind of typically need to get used to a, a different instrument? And, and what are you trying to do, I guess, on Monday? Well, I think in terms of how much time, I think that how much time you, you think how much time you have is what you'll need. So you can't sit here and think, well, I'm going to need two weeks with the instrument because I have four hours. So so my plan is really to kind of dive in to see, uh, to first of all, explore the differences physically with the instrument, because that's a big, probably the biggest adjustment, really where the notes are on the instrument. The fingerboard, I, I believe, is a bit slightly longer than kind of a more modern standard size. So it just means the notes will be in slightly different places, possibly. So that's really the first thing. So probably a bunch of scales to kind of see that. Um, and then really just trying to explore what it can do. Often a violin will be able to will respond differently to different strokes, different pressure from the bow, different pressure from the left hand. I mean, I'm sure I have played, you know, fine instruments before, and generally things happen a lot quicker and with a lot less effort than a violin that's not as fine. So those are the things I'm kind of expecting, trying to just think about ways I can really just as quickly as possible get to know the instrument. So this would be kind of like you, you know, for a sports car enthusiast, like driving a Lamborghini or something, correct? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you know, and it's even a little bit more difficult because, you know, I think you might know how fast a Lamborghini <laughs> might go, but I don't know how fast this <laughs> instrument will go. So I'm assuming pretty fast. So. And how does it compare to the one that you currently play, just for comparison's sake? How old is the violin that you regularly play? Yes, my violin was made in Naples in 1819 by an Italian maker named Gaetano Venaccia. It is a fine instrument, not on the level of a Guarneri, of course. I've had it since I was 17. My parents invested in it so I could have a good instrument to audition for conservatories and really prepare. But, you know, the biggest difference will be the, I believe, and what I've experienced before will be really the power and the quickness of the instrument speaking. And it's just the, the biggest thing is to really reduce your effort. That's really something because on my violin, I have to work harder to do whatever it is that I want to do just because it just doesn't have the same range. So that's something. And, and often when people don't play these very, very fine instruments every day, like myself, there's a definite tendency to overplay the instrument. So that's something that will be really in my mind to really not overplay the instrument because it will do things for me with ease a lot easier than, you know, a more mid-level instrument. And Joanna, can you tell us what you're going to be playing by Paganini at the concert and maybe even, yes. you know, a, a couple line bio of, of who he was for those who may not be familiar with him? Yes, yes. Paganini is, I would say, possibly the most famous uh, violin virtuoso ever. He really invented new extended techniques for the violin. He was 
a big performer, really had rock star status. He was also a composer, wrote many pieces, two violin concertos, which are possibly the most famous in addition to his 24 caprices for solo violin. They're performance pieces, show pieces, but also considered, you know, part of the etude repertory in terms of learning how to do different kinds of techniques because each one focuses on a specific, you know, extended technique, whether it be up bow staccato or trills or octaves or whatever or very fast arpeggios so everything kind of focuses on but they have this something that hadn't been done before is that they have this beautiful artistry and flair and really bel canto lyricism to them so there's really a, a very high level artistic quality to the caprices and he so he would he was a he was a very virtuosic performer some people think he had a syndrome where he could stretch his fingers further than other people. It's disputed, but it's a fun thing to think about. Now it's it's common for every young violinist to learn the caprices and to study them, um, and if not, perform them. And of course, also the concertos are in the standard repertoire that you do learn. Everyone learns them as they're studying. And so in the concert, as the concert is really a gala-type concert, lots of smaller pieces that'll just be very pleasing and uplifting and a bit of a lighter side concert, I'll be playing one Paganini Caprice. I'll be playing the Paganini Cantabile, which is originally for violin and piano, but we've had it arranged for violin and orchestra. It has a beautiful, beautiful melody in kind of this high romantic style. And then I will also be playing the Swan Lake solo with our uh, principal cellist by Tchaikovsky. And in addition, the Sensons introduction and Rondo Capriccioso, a very fun showpiece also. And in addition, the uh, meditation from Thais by Jules Massenet. So really kind of a wide range of pieces to show off the different brilliances of the instrument. You know, Tim, I wanted to ask maybe what you hope people get out of this experience, not just musically, as Joanna was talking about, but just about the collaboration and the sister city relationships, and there are nine other cities. So uh, I'm joking here, but the other cities have to raise their game now, right? And <laughs> what they what they uh, offer us. But yeah, no, this is a pretty high, yeah, high bar you, for that. I was um, going to say, what do you hope we can kind of take out of this experience? The mission of Greater Columbus Sister Cities International is to enhance our community through the international connections. The whole idea of that is people to people. So we want to exchange in every way possible that creates partnerships, friendships, understanding. We have a strong Italian community here still that's relevant um, in its own right. So we're, we're happy to celebrate that, but it's also celebrating the arts. The fact that we could put together a package to attract this violin here is not just the sister city relationship. It is the quality of our symphony, the museum, the vision of our city, and many companies that have stepped up to support this. So this is a community effort. We're super excited to include young people into this as well. So think about, you know, Joanna's playing this violin that's 270-some years old. We have kids that'll probably be in the early teens with Urban Strings opening up this show. They're connected to all of this. And I think that's what this is about, is about connection. So I'm hoping that more people are familiar with Sister Cities, Genoa, and the fact that we have others, but that there's opportunities for us to be ambassadors because I believe that the more people that know about Columbus, Ohio around the world, the better off we'll be. Now, is there anything, not to look ahead too much, but once this passes, is there anything else on your wish list as you look maybe back over to Genoa? Well, we're going to go back over to Genoa in October. So when Tyson, Priscilla Tyson and I went there, we came back with three exchange ideas. And this will be the third of the, the three. We had a Pesto Championship, partnership with the Italian, Columbus Italian Festival, 10 local competitors. We brought in uh, judges from Genoa because this is the birthplace of Pesto. Every other year, they have a world championship. And our winner was sent there and competed. How'd we do? No. 
We're going to do it again. <laughs> okay. We're going to do it again. Burn America. No, no, yeah, it was yeah. great. He was competing there and there was a hundred competitors. It's a, it's a big deal. The second one was we met a photographer there that did a project called The Thousand Faces of Genoa. And it was honestly not to do with international exchange. It was just to show love to a city. It was portraits. We saw his exhibit and met him and we, the delegation, fell in love with both him and the portraits and thought he's got to come here. A year ago, he was here. We printed all his uh, pictures, had it at the Columbus Cultural Arts Center, the airport, the museum, Franklin Park Conservatory, and digitally at the convention center. And we also had the photographer here for two weeks. Took him around. He captured 1,400 portraits of Columbus. Those are going to be on display this year in the fall. And we're going to have organize a trip to go over there to appreciate that. We have a lot of big plans, specifically with Genoa. I mean, we've we've put a lot of focus there in the last couple of years to pull this off. But we are looking to do other things. We have a, we currently have applications open for a marathon exchange with Dresden, Germany, Curitiba, Brazil, and Hefei, China. So we're receiving applications till the end of the month. It's a partnership with the Columbus Marathon. We're super excited about that. But yeah, we have we have a lot of things in the hopper. But it, we're a small organization that relies on the spirit of the Columbus Way, actually partnering with companies, individuals, other nonprofits throughout the community. And some people may say, well, it's obvious that many of our sister cities elsewhere with centuries of history have so much that they can offer us with that. It may be less obvious to them about what we can offer to them. What are some of the things that Columbus has to offer our sister cities around the world? That's a great question. So I've had the fortune of traveling around the world and there is an interest to connect with the United States. And depending where you go, there could be ideas about our politics or foreign policy, let's say, versus actual engagement with people. So honestly, what we can offer is a great experience to represent America as ambassadors of our country, but also of our city. There, you know, This is a great place for businesses to come if they're looking to target the market for the United States. So looking for foreign direct investment. They also provide opportunities for export. So we have products here that we make. But with the cultural, we have great cultural. The musicians, actually, our conductor of the Columbus Symphony, who's a board member of Sister Cities, Rosin, is actually in Sevilla, Spain, our sister city there this week, conducting their symphony. Uh, we haven't made a big deal out of that because of the, pa- the Paganini violin, but we also hosted the, the symphony director here. So what we're trying to offer is connection. This could be in the form, this is, you know, this Paganini is top-notch, world-class international art exchange. However, we also, the marathon runners, the students were working with the city of Dresden and Columbus State, which is also a partnership with the city, to send students over there in response or in reciprocal to the students they sent here uh, last year that's focused on the connection between vocational education and work placement. Part of the concern of the mayor of Dresden is the immigration has that's come into Europe has sparked uh, some new concerns about fascism, and he wants to make sure young people have been exposed to diversity, and that that's the underlining part of this, too. So we have a lot to offer, but what I like to tell everyone or ask everyone is imagine if everyone in our city or Franklin County traveled internationally once with some sort of purpose, would our community think differently? And yeah. presumably, would we make better decisions? So I honestly think we're going to be a better city and it'll be a better world if more people understand that and have that opportunity. But this concert, this visit at the museum, this is an opportunity for people to have an international experience, to be welcoming. I didn't even mention that the mayor of Genoa, Italy, is actually coming with a small delegation to support this. He probably would not be here if we weren't having this kind of exchange. He wants to meet with city leaders, but also with businesses, looking for opportunities for them. Well, let's- Let's just hope that he gets a ticket and maybe we can get another yeah, statue another out statue. of this moving exactly. forward. <laughs> and on the way, maybe a little trip through the Italian village. Tim and Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Really enlightening. Great. And we're really Thanks looking for forward to us. the concert and to the display yeah. over at the museum. 
Yeah, so are we. Absolutely. This is awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. And thank you all for listening to Life in the 614. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the 614.